0: We like to listen closely to what Koreans are saying to one another to get an idea of what the spirit of the times is. And we call it Dive in Korea. Joanne Jung and Jim Bully pull us some provocative articles from the web as well as some comments from ordinary Koreans, and we present them for you every week. Guys, welcome.
1: Good morning. Good
0: morning. Nice to see you, uh, Jim. You're um, married into a Korean family, as I saw in great pageantry early this year. True. So you've got Chuseok duties coming up.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And um, for you, that's a relatively easy go, right? Because not only are you the
2: man, but you are a, a foreigner. Yeah, I mean my. Family are quite traditional, mm. um, so we do do sort of the the full ancestral ceremonies in the traditional way and stuff. And obviously, because I am a man, I have a role to play okay. in those. But it doesn't go beyond that one day, mm. really. Joanne, how does things shake out for you? Is there, is there
0: a ton of work for you?
1: No, no. My my uh, in laws are very um, modern thinking couple really so and i work in um, the broadcasting industry obviously so i usually can't go down on the day of mm. so usually all the ceremonies and the rituals and the preparing goes on the day before and the day of so i miss out on all that work Okay, Which is bad for my mother-in-law because she has to (laughs) do everything. But she doesn't say anything to me, really, because she knows what situation I'm in. And Mm. she's like, well, when can you come down? Just come and say hi and, you know, just share some food.
0: So both of you are slightly (laughs) atypical in in some ways. But for the vast majority of Koreans, uh, there's a whole lot of work associated with Chuseok. It's a lot of prep. It's a lot of cleaning. It's a lot of this and that. And more Koreans... Topic number one, are starting to outsource some of that work.
2: Either outsource it or just not do it. Not Not do it. it. Um, So there's a few, Mm -hmm. there's been a few different reports over the last week that have all been pointing in a very similar direction, which is that traditions are not so much dying out, but definitely downsizing. So, we talked about the ancestral ceremony, um, which involves a lot, traditionally involves a lot of different dishes, which are laid out in a specific way on the table. You know, in my experience, most families have one person who's really keen on it and remembers it, and then everyone, you know, you put the foods out in those places. Now, there was a a report this week from um, Korea Rural Economic, which said that actually only 71% of Korean families are planning on doing the ceremony. This year. So immediately that's like a third of people nearly who are not even going to do the ancestral ceremony Mm. full stop. And then even within that group, actually only about a third of the people that are going to do it will do it the traditional way. A lot of people will just cook food that they like rather than the traditional food that's supposed to be there. Some people will cook food that they their you know most recent deceased ancestor liked in particular, rather than the traditional dishes. Or even there's a small group of people who will outsource it and will just hire a catering company to make it all for them. Mm. You know what our very
0: smart team member Christine told me in yesterday's segment? Mm. What did about. she say? They do their stuff like the week before. All the various uh, ancestor rituals and sort of, you know crossing their t's dotting their eyes in terms of the tradition they kind of do like a week or two before and then the whole family gets a vacation during the week of jusa
1: mm, that's good but i think a lot of people have caught on to that smart yeah. <laughs> thing so people are like okay if we do it two weeks before everyone else does then we'll have you know we'll miss out on the traffic and all the bad stuff but mm-hmm. yeah everyone's doing it two weeks before now so
2: it's also a case of just how sort of traditional your family is Mm. for some people it means a lot to do it on that day and often you'll do the ancestral ceremony in the morning and then go and visit the graves for the ancestors in the afternoon or the following day like there's a sort of very formulaic way in the same way that in you know that that thanksgiving or christmas every family has a way they do it every year and that means a lot to all of them that it follows the same format
0: Mm. i'm a little surprised that sort of a more of a Chuseok industry hasn't developed. I mean, if you look at weddings in Korea, whether you opt for traditional or slightly westernized or whatever, it's, it's, it's pre a you know, you go and you say, do my wedding. And that person, you, all you have to do is walk in the door. They've got taken care of absolutely everything. Couldn't you sort of outsource the entire Chuseok? Like have a Chuseok truck that rolls up, sets your table, puts the food out, puts up some decorations and then rolls to the next house, you know? I mean,
2: I'm ignoring the fact that Doing all of that preparation stuff is part of the Chuseok process. Mm. That the idea of that industry assumes that there is a group of people who aren't doing Chuseok, right? Everybody in the country celebrates. <laughs> Where's the labor force to yeah. do this thing? Right? There isn't a group of people who are like, oh, we won't celebrate Chuseok. Yeah, we'll do it for other people instead. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that exists. That's an obstacle.
1: That too, and the elderly generation. A lot of them are still alive, and they're very much against. You know, outsourcing all this food. Because you're, you're setting the table, this ritual is out of respect for your ancestors. Mm. And they're like, okay, if you're going to get someone else to do it, you know, what what's the effort that you put into it? What's the respect that you put into it? And uh, I think there was this whole debacle about, uh, you know, people putting hamburgers or pizzas on the ritual <laughs> table because, because the, the, the deceased ancestor liked it. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was their favorite food. Therefore, it should be on the table. But people who are alive and elderly, they're like, no, that that's just wrong.
2: You're diluting the tradition. Yeah, and there's fast there's foods. even actually a huge number of people. Thirty five percent of people in this survey that will prepare the food will prepare food that they like. Because they're not even it that anyway. the ancestors, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. the ancestors don't eat much. Yeah, so they they're going to thirty five percent of them will will prepare food that they specifically like. Yeah, menu um,
0: planning less of an issue for them. Yeah, the, the ancestors. Uh Do you think? I mean, one theme that comes up in this program frequently is that Chuseok is kind of a judgmental time. It's a time when uh, one set of relatives tends to judge the others, and so on. Do you think there will be um, discussions, possibly heated ones, around various Chuseok tables by the elderly generation saying you didn't do enough? Or you didn't build out the table enough, or there aren't enough traditional items on here. Will that be a theme? Do you think in households?
1: I'm sure they're thinking that, but they're you know um, expressing that less and less because they're trying to keep up with the times, and they see a lot of news articles about the stress that mm-hmm. um, you know younger uh, you know people are experiencing these days. So they're like, okay, maybe we sound too old if we say that, but mm. I'm sure they're thinking it.
2: Yeah, I think also there's, there's quite a common trend where like. Our generation kind of skips out on the Chusok prep quite a lot. So it tends to fall pretty heavily on kind of our parents' generation. If you've ended up with like one or two middle-aged women that have prepared the the entire family's Chusok food, then you've got to be pretty brave to go and criticize it because they've done all that work on Ah. themselves with a lot less support from younger generations than I think used to be the case.
0: So food is is kind of a central thing and some of that is being either outsourced to caterers or just kind of shifted into the you know padal pizza burger chimet category um but then there's the traditional gravesite stuff right and yeah. that's basically a gardening task that you could sort of Outsource sort of the trimming and the sweeping and whatnot, right? And no, then just go it, it's there. It's a and whole bow.
1: expedition to the Himalayas, especially well. like, you know, if you try to get to some of these gravesites that are on the mountains. You've got a lot of overgrowth and whatever that you need to hack through, and you get cuts and and blisters and sores everywhere. You've got ticks, you've got um, wasps, you know. So people are like, "This is dangerous."
0: Right? There's not some kind of common groundskeeper that keeps the paths clear.
2: Well, it depends where where mm-hmm. your ancestors. Buried. Uh So, increasingly, a lot of people are actually kind of trans—I don't know what the word is—they're moved now. Increasingly to these large buildings that every city has one of that is kind of like full of kind of cubby holes. It's like a burial center. If your if your ancestor happened to be on an area of land that was needed for a road or whatever, but it's also increasingly common for people, especially people who aren't Christians, to just be buried in like a family plot on the side of a hill somewhere. Mm. That has, that has no connection to like a, a graveyard or with someone looking after it. It's just on a hill, people hike past every now and then.
0: We've got some thoughts from ordinary Koreans out there, read as always via the robo-readers. Let's give those a listen. Why bother doing it at all if you're going to buy everything? The whole point is to show respect and effort. Even if you only make a few dishes, you should do it yourself.
3: The number of people maintaining their ancestors' gravesite has decreased. And I think this change in funeral customs might be because of the increasing number of
4: nuclear families. They talk awfully a lot for something we only do once or twice a year. Out of the 365 days, one day is spent taking care of the grave site, two days for ancestral rites, and one or two days for memorial services. Why would you hire someone for at most four days work? I go and trim the grass and weeds on my great-grandmother's gravesite. My dad is super conservative, so when I suggested we hire some people to maintain the grave, he got super mad at me. So, I go with him every year thinking I'm the eldest son, so it's my duty. But last year, I got stung by a wasp and had to go to the hospital, and it made me think, why should I be the one slaving away each year? It's not like all my uncles come and help.
0: So you guys, the the work and the wasps and the, the sharp grass, that's all associated with ancestors that are buried fairly traditionally in a mountainside. Aren't more Koreans opting for other solutions?
1: Other solutions, like like that that building that um, Jim was talking about earlier. Mm. I'm not exactly sure what the terminology for that is. I think they
2: call them memorial... Some, it's got Memorial memorials halls. in the name, yeah. Memorial Hall. Let's go Yeah. That. So you've okay. got
1: you cremate uh, the person and you put them in like a jar or a pot, something. The ashes mm-hmm. and then you put them there. And the people who run the the building, they they maintain it throughout the year and you pay them annually yeah. for an annual fee or we, pay up front.
0: We had an architect on the other week and he's mm-hmm. got this wild dream project to to make one of those in the form of a skyscraper that you could see from across the city. Oh, my goodness. And you would say, oh, there's that tall building where my grandmother is honored kind of thing. You know, that's his dream project. So um, there's new thinking in various sectors out there. This is, in essence, kind of a, a museum of, of ashes, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Of- and,
1: and, you know, um, the, the boxes that are at eye level, they're more expensive than the ones at the top and at the bottom. Yeah. Um, because of the way it's placed. Mm. And um, access is also a thing, but they think that, you know, if it's at the bottom, it's sort of less respectful, maybe. There's sort of that.
2: Yeah, because they're quite, like, normally they have a, a space where you can put a photograph of the person in mm-hmm. there and their name, and then there's kind of spaces where, when relatives visit, they can stick cards in there. Um, so they are quite, it's not just like a box with a number on it kind of thing. They are quite nice. Do you think older generations care a bit more about how they are treated after their
0: final moments i mean if you were to ask me and i dare say jim uh, you might concur after i pass from this mortal coil i'm really not fussed about what you do
2: well i guess it depends who's left behind isn't it it's for them it is for them more than anything else i know that my for my wife's my mother-in-law's family all of her family are in the, the died are in that memorial hall Mm. and and going there and there's pictures and stuff and and you can see the note that other cousins and things have left when they were there that's a very nice experience it's about continuity, isn't it? It's yeah. about family,
0: mm. continuity. It's
1: about continuity. And I think one of the comments pointed out that we're you know, doing this because there are an increasing number of nuclear families. Back in the day, you had like, what, five, six, like 10 children.
0: Like a mega so family. <laughs> you
1: could share that workload. And it was a time each year for them to all gather together and have a good time. Yeah. These days, you've only got what, one or two children. So that's a bit of a burden. And also, like, uh, the, the duty falls on the eldest of the family. So they're like, you know, why should we have to do this every single yeah. year for the rest of our lives?
2: Also, I mean, normally the, the holiday is when you would go to the graveside and, you know, as a group and care for things. And purely logistically, around Chuseok now, in most cities, it's nearly impossible to get anywhere on the, on the afternoon of Chusok everyone is driving in the same direction towards Traffic. those graves yeah. yeah last year we spent two hours travelling a 15 minute journey to go and visit a family member's grave um, and it just becomes impossible you can't get the whole family going there anymore and it's rare that families gather like that
0: you're supposed to go on the day itself is that right or does it? Is it flexible
1: it usually is on the day itself but these days like you mentioned earlier it's like two weeks before so not after but any time before is okay
0: hmm. It'll be interesting to see the way these Chuseok rituals and time management around Chuseok kind of changes as uh, the proliferation of single households increases. And as these smaller family units make decisions, we can already start to see sort of the downsizing of the big, huge traditional Chuseok. That's topic number one. We've got two more on deck when Koreascape returns right after this. Welcome back to Koreascape. It's Dive in Korea Friday. We've got Jim Bulley and Joanne Jung in the house. They've picked out some of the articles of the week that have generated social media buzz. We're going to hear what Koreans are saying to each other. Topic two, traditional markets versus – Mega markets.
1: Mega markets. I think they call them SSMs or super supermarkets here in Korea.
0: Hypermarché. They would call them in French. Hypermarkets.
1: Hypermarkets. Well, they're super supermarkets here.
0: I think
2: super supermarkets (laughs) is much better. (laughs) Super super.
1: And if you shop at one of these super supermarkets, you'll know that they close about twice a month. So that's every second or and fourth Sunday, or every second and fourth Wednesday. Depends on where you live.
0: And this is mandated.
1: This is mandated. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is compulsory for all the SSMs in Korea. And people aren't really sure what to think of this. This was meant the aim was the, of this was to help the flailing traditional market mm-hmm. industry. But it turns out five years on it hasn't helped anyone.
0: Really? Yeah. That's counterintuitive. You would think, you know, if there's no place else to get your rice and vegetables and meat and some gipsal on those two weekends then by default, people would go to traditional markets. Why isn't it working?
1: Well, you know, backtracking here, the government had been working on this policy since 2005. So they took about seven years to, to sort these things out. And finally, the legislation passed on January 17th of 2012. And um, over the next two years after it was implemented, between 2012 and 2014, um, sales and profits for the major supermarkets decreased as well as traditional markets, because people were confused. They didn't know what days these uh, markets were closing, who was opening and whatnot, because it wasn't uh, mandated across the board. It was sort of like, okay, you try to do this, try to help the traditional markets. And over the course of two years, they finally got it down pat and said, okay, we're we're choosing this and this day to close. So once people figured out which days these supermarkets were closing, they worked their schedule around Uh
0: it. So it's not – they're not uh, sort of detouring into the traditional markets. They're just kind of doing better time planning to go to
2: the super supers. When we say traditional markets, are we talking specifically about like your proper traditional markets? Because small local supermarkets are also allowed to open on those days, right? It's just the big ones that close.
1: Right, I think so. But I mean – uh, when they say traditional markets, yeah, I'm talking about the the Chongqing Shijiang, so mm-hmm. where you've got those stalls and all your vegetables and, and fish and whatever, just um, sure. on boxes and yeah. outside.
0: Lots of little sort of uh, mini stalls and stores within the marketplace,
1: right, right, as
0: opposed to one huge retailer. It occurs to me that uh, this could actually increase sales at the super supermarkets. You know what it reminds me of? Thailand, where they uh, they restrict alcohol sales during certain hours of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can't buy it in the morning before lunch or whatnot. And that just means people stock up at different times when it is yeah, on sale. it peaks sale, at know? different times.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
4: different
2: we have that in the UK the... as well. Do you? You can't buy alcohol before 10 a.m. or something, How something about like that. that. Is
1: yeah. that because of, like, safety reasons or something? Or
2: Yeah, I don't know why. Because... Obviously, I don't know what time it is from between like 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. So if it was safety reasons, 5 a.m. is probably a bad idea. But it's yeah, I think it's just it's just those are the licensing laws. You Mm. can't slow alcohol between that time. And I think just to to discourage people from having scotch for breakfast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Never a good idea. So back to the markets. Um, All right. So if this doesn't work, what does?
1: What does? People are saying, well, you know, traditional markets, they should really try to differentiate themselves from all the other markets out there. You know, when they see themselves as competition and rivals of these SSMs, they're going to lose. They're never going to be able to win. So, you know, they have to be first more convenient in some way um, or have better quality produce for a lower price. So there has to be some sort of incentive for people for, you know, you know, to for people to go to them if their local supermarket can't compete
0: on price efficiency, convenience. So, I mean, we've done walkthroughs of markets, traditional markets, on this program, and um, what the Koreans who go there say is, you know, I like the relationships.
1: Right? You know, they go there for the experience, mm, right?
0: The experience, and this or that. You know, grandma in the stall, she gives me a little <laughs> extra tteokim, mm. or she yeah. cares about my family,
2: that kind of thing. I think, in a lot of ways, they can often compete on value. Okay. Like you cannot, you often can get things for for better prices in the. In the traditional markets, if for no other reason than that you can control the quantity more. So in the big supermarkets, you often end up buying considerably more than you're ever going to eat because they only sell things in relatively large quantity.
1: But Hmm. when was the last time you paid by card at a traditional market?
0: Don't they have the 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 thing thing to do that now? They've got it. they have sorted out for
2: that. I I went to a traditional market in Jeju last month and paid by card.
1: And did they like that, though? Because a lot of people have been pointing out, I've seen in the comments, that it's Pretty difficult, unless you're buying like in bulk at a traditional market, to, to pay by card because the owners don't really like that.
2: You do generally get a better price if you pay by cash. Like you can kind of haggle on or at least, you know, if you pay by cash, they'll normally be a bit happier.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very happy.
0: I mean, if you were going to promote
2: traditional markets,
0: let's say you were appointed the marketing director of the traditional markets of Korea, Joanne, how would you begin the process of structuring the PR message Come to the traditional markets. We love you more.
1: Well, I think they've already tried to do some stuff. Like, they have the tokens that are, you know, they they remind you of the old coins that they used back in the day Hmm. um, just to try to make a a traditional experience and so on. But I think they should, you know, uh, focus more on the basics. Parking is an issue.
4: Uh yeah. Parking
1: is an issue. Um, And also, uh, it's really crowded and people are like, you know, we we don't want to... Buy our produce that has been sort of outside for most of the day, with people walking past and whatnot. Mm. There's the hygiene issue. Yeah. Um, so just maybe they the need basic. valets.
0: I say that half kiddingly, but maybe they need some sort of valet service.
1: Valet I mean, service. You know,
0: somebody to park your car and go get your car. There's
1: no space for parking. Yeah, the problem whatsoever. is that there's
2: nowhere to do that. Right. Isn't there
0: something a block away the guy could jog to,
2: or or no? Not really, and normally the roads are very congested, because not only have you got people coming in and out, you've got produce coming in and out throughout the day. Yeah. Um, for me, I think convenience is the big thing. I love traditional markets, but if I'm honest, I only go there three times a year. Mm-hmm. If I'm on holiday somewhere where well, that's supposed to have like an interesting one, or next week, immediately before Chusok, to buy ingredients, and immediately before Sona, And those are the only times I'll go to traditional markets. Because you love want the them. vibe. Well, because that's where we always go to buy, you know, if you're, if you're buying stuff for the traditional ancestral ceremonies, then you normally head to a traditional market and they've got all the ingredients, the exact right things ready because that's what they're catering towards.
0: What do ordinary Koreans think about all this? We're about to find out. The robo-readers have some comments on standby. Let's listen.
3: When you look at the figures, you'll find that the same group of people go to traditional markets – It has nothing to do with supermarkets. Forcing supermarkets to close twice a week means less job opportunities and big inconvenience for customers.
4: I know it's inconvenient, but there is one thing I like about the mandatory closing of supermarkets. My mother works at one, and she gets to rest twice. I don't use
3: the traditional markets. I find it uncomfortable to have to deal with people.
2: I think the priority should be on improving the overall marketplace environment. Keeping with sanitation,
0: labeling the origin of the products, parking facilities, the way store owners think.
3: Isn't it just the results of decrease in overall consumer activities, and drastic increase in online shopping? Even if the supermarket chains and traditional markets were open for 24 hours for 365 days, their sales would have dropped anyway.
0: I think one of the robo-readers said twice a week there. They meant twice a oh, month. Oh, that
3: would have so. been drastic. Yeah, twice, twice a week. week.
0: That would have been a draconian step against the super supermarkets. So uh, I guess there's relatively broad consensus that you cannot um, arm-twist the market into going to traditional markets by closing down these big ones,
2: you have to boost the demand on the traditional side, which mm. is a perennial challenge. Yeah. I do think that that comment, the second, I think it was the second Rover reader saying that they liked it because their mum got a day off. Like that is an interesting point in that you know these some of these supermarkets are open at nearly three hundred sixty five days a year and would be without those days. Mm. And it, maybe it is a nice break, even for nothing else. It's a nice break for the staff. And I imagine they probably go to the traditional markets because you, you don't want to go to another supermarket on your day off from your supermarket. You reckon?
0: I, re- I think I would think they have access to sort of like the discount items and stuff back there. And,
2: oh, potentially, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that, if your only day off is the day it's closed.
0: Would you want to go shopping on your day off
2: if you work in a grocery store? You know. It's a very different experience. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's the same. I don't think they're comparable. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to even look at
0: products on a shelf if I worked in, in retail like that. Uh, I don't know. I think it is all about it, and it's about micro shopping too. Most people have consolidated their lives into such big buckets that they go with their oversized SUV or whatever their car is, and they just fill it up to the ceiling with stuff and don't have to shop for another month and a half or two months.
1: I'm guilty as charged. Are you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I like micro shopping. You know, I like to get just two bags worth or something. You know, and I go three times a week.
1: That would be better for the environment and for your health as well. But sometimes it's just very impractical. You just don't have the time.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just recall our walkthrough. And if people could just consider some of these day to day tasks, like shopping, as a bit more of an experience, then maybe the traditional
2: markets could latch onto that and improve the experience side of things what I was just going to say I think it's also worth pointing out talking about as an experience is that an increasingly large number of supermarkets have started to add things to make it sort of fun for all the family you know you've got play areas and things like that which you don't normally get in traditional markets but there are some there's a traditional market in Gumi that has introduced a play area and all sorts of things and actually that was in partnership with one of the major supermarkets they helped fund this whole project so maybe moving in that kind of direction is what they need to do to provide more alternatives because even if you want to make Make it a day out. There's only so much that you can sort of drag the kids through a very, very busy market school full of people sort of shouting and pushing and that kind of thing.
0: You know what some of the super supermarkets have too is like little doggy kennels. Like little mm-hmm. doggy drop-off cages areas, you know, and and that's
2: got to be an enticement. How do you compete with that? The, with it, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are traditional markets that are doing it, really. But it's, I guess, I guess they're kind of they're the test, see whether it works. Yeah, or not. the
1: locker services and whatnot. Yeah, as well, and the, yeah, the
2: play areas and the cafes and all that kind of thing. Mm. You've inspired me. I'm going to a tra-
0: traditional market today. I'm going to buy something. I need kimchi and I need, uh, you know, tteokbokki and stuff like that. Oh. I'm going to pick some stuff up and uh, dubu maybe.
1: Some acorn jelly.
0: Some acorn jelly. Not enough in my fridge right now. In fact, none. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to topic three: nail art and other spa treatments, spa extravagances for the very, very young.
1: They're very, very young. Have you heard of the term "adult kids"? Adult I've heard kids. Kid adult. Kid adult. Is yeah. it different? This is the very opposite of that. Adult kids. Adult kids, that's the the combination of the words adult Mm. and kid, which means that the kid gets to sort of be an adult for the day or feel like an adult for a few hours.
0: All right. I mean, as a sort of a, a exercise of the imagination, a playtime experience, that sounds okay. I mean, they have these attractions where you can... The kid can be a fireman or the kid can go shopping in a little miniature grocery store.
1: I'm thinking of more expensive hobbies like getting a facial, a full facial, a foot and hand massage, getting a manicure and a pedicure. No
2: way. What age are we talking? Yeah.
1: We're talking four to six-year-olds here. And how are they going to pay for it? They're not. Their parents are paying for it. And and they're getting on board with this because this is really, really, really popular. So these are... Beauty spas or salons for kids are popping up everywhere near these playgrounds that Jim was talking about earlier at these mega super, you know, complexes.
0: My creepy radar is going off slightly. Uh, I think that is a little weird. But hey, sell me on it. What's, what's what's the what's the good aspect of this?
1: What's the good aspect of this? Well, you know, kids, especially young girls, they want to follow their moms. So, you know, you've seen kids play with lipsticks and cosmetics and whatnot. So, I mean, giving them a little bit of an experience at a certified beauty salon because they use, like, what, all-natural cotton masks to do these facials. They have environmentally friendly, non-toxic manicures when they're doing these manicures and pedicures. Um, and the kids get to, you know, experience aromatherapy as well, which might be good for relaxation and whatnot. So this is a good experience if it's a one-off thing. Mm. But if it's a continuation of you know, uh, facial after facial and these expenses are, you know, on, on the parents, then this is a problem. And it the parents are divided on this. There's yeah. the parents that are really on board and there's the parents that are like, you know, kids should be kids. This is wrong.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to feel that way. Is is this like a status thing? Is this like a, look how oh, well I'm doing, my kid has a mani-pedi so. and a facial?
1: Very much so. Because once these parents do this, you'll, you'll definitely see it on SNS. And the kids, I mean, these days they talk. When they go to kindergarten, they talk. They're like, oh, look what I got on the weekend. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: I can't picture, you know, posting a picture of my kid getting a pedicure and saying, you know, look how cool my kid is getting Oh, a
1: well, you know, some of the photos, the kids look very, very comfortable getting those pedicures and uh-huh. manicures. I mean, I remember the first time I went to get one done, I was a little bit nervous and sort of like, this is a little uncomfortable. Someone's touching my hand. But, um, yeah, it looks like the kids are enjoying it, which is a good thing. But, you know, do you have to do it at such a young age?
0: The only sort of positive thing that filters through to me so far about it is that it's a bonding experience between mom, and mom possibly dad and child, but mm-hmm. I suspect it's usually mom and daughter. Um, so, you know, there's that. You know, I get to be like mommy and we grow closer, that kind of thing. Uh, but on the negative side, I can see the income inequality thing. Some kids just simply aren't going to be able to afford that in their family. And then it's getting
2: kids used to being pampered and um, – needing stuff like this i mean there are literally thousands of ways that a mum and her daughter can spend time together Mm. that is not that like i really don't like this i think the only facial treatment that a child should be having is some sort of mud pack applied by falling over outside while playing (laughs) with friends
1: (laughs) a dust pack or a mud pack the
2: old-fashioned kind of mud
0: pack
1: oh you know like it gives them the wrong impression, too, and the idea that you need money. You need to spend an exorbitant amount of money in order to look beautiful. So it gives them a yeah. sort of like a twisted idea of beauty standards. That's right,
0: not to mention beauty standards. There you go. I'm not really pretty unless I've got glimmering nails. And some of these kids get actual nail art, right?
1: Oh, nail art. And, and you know, the thing is, I think um, online media platforms have – played a role in this as well because kids are exposed to beauty channels um you know on youtube and stuff like that Mm. so they already know what's going on and they're the ones usually that are asking their parents to take them to these places so
0: all right joanne (laughs) uh, let's imagine joanne you have a daughter at some unspecified future date are you taking that daughter for a mani-pedi
1: no i would actually try it out at home i would actually that's an idea yeah and, and have that bonding experience at home why should i pay you know over, you know an overexpensive salon for my kids to have sort of like a manicure that will peel off in, in a day or two
2: yeah mm-hmm. and from like a kind of youth work or teacher's perspective that's a that's those two things are completely different because doing it at home is a bonding experience and that is an experience that's for the two of you Teachable right? moment right and even if she yeah. doesn't keep it on the next day that's fine if you're paying a salon to do it then you're making that a thing that you're doing for everyone else. Everyone else can look at your daughter and see that she's got all this stuff going on, see that she's got her nails done and stuff, whilst the thing at home is a private experience for the two of you. It's about building a bond between you, not about showing off. Mm. And I, I used to manage her at uh, Hagwon, and you know, a four, we used to have a four-year-old girl who'd come in with, like, nail varnish on and stuff in heels, and it was all the things she'd done at home with her mum. But even that, the other girls in the class, you could see, were very jealous about it. Four-year-old kids already building an inferiority complex based on other members of the class.
0: We, you mentioned the role of social media and the fact that uh, I guess the kids might be too young, but the parents are posting all kinds of social media photos. I wonder, we're going to reach some stage in evolution when we look back at all of the crazy trends and mentalities that were spawned by just life sharing, you know? I mean, it really is a, a, an endless churn. I think without the role of social media, maybe something like bringing your kids to a spa would would not sound like wouldn't such a wouldn't be good so idea.
1: appealing yeah
0: right mm-hmm. okay we've got some comments from koreans the robo readers are on standby let's give it a listen
3: instead of going to beauty salons and whatnot it's healthier for a child's physical and mental health to go to a park or playground and just have fun with other kids Being a mother of two children, this article just makes me sad. If they can't afford it, fine. If they can't, this could ruin the children. It feels to me that they are feeding their ego using their children.
4: Oh my gosh! If you have time to do stuff like this, take the time to read them a book or something. They want their kids to be able to show off to the friends at kindergarten or school. Doing stuff like this makes them feel that they're better than others. And they want to show off on SNS. It looks like they lack self-esteem.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's there's a certain age at which you start to enter these aesthetic issues. That's probably teenage years. If you can shelter your kids from this sort of... For lack of a better word, superficiality that's kind of where my judgment lands. How would you be as a prospective parent jim
2: i it's difficult because your your attitude is is entirely swayed by what every other child is doing, mm. right like if every other kid is going through these processes, then to some extent you don't want your child to be the to one left out right. yeah, but I think I would be it would be very difficult to persuade me that this kind of thing was a good idea
0: fomo yeah,
4: fear, fear of, of missing,
0: missing out. out. It is the it is the disease of our times. I, I it, it, what it is to be a kid has gone through such an upheaval in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years. There's child YouTube stars now. I mean, one of the things that oh, uh, yeah, I, I right. mean, kids like to watch other kids unbox toys and play video games and stuff like that. Um it's it's content That I would have never thought of in my whole life as a kid. Some kids
1: have their own beauty channels as well. And they know a lot more about makeup, cosmetics and whatnot than a lot of adults out there. So, you know, that's impressive and a little scary at the same time.
0: Yeah. What I'm reminded of, I don't know if this exists in any other country in the world. I don't know if it's in the UK. But are these like... Toddler beauty pageants in like the USA, um, you know, Honey Boo Boo, who became real famous, was a uh, a character in one of those. They have these pageants of like little, you know, preteen kids and they dress them up to look exactly like glamorous women. And it gives me
2: the shudders. I think that is a very American phenomenon. We have nothing like it. But America is kind of famous for that kind of thing. And again, from my cultural background, that's incredibly uncomfortable as well. Hmm.
1: I mean, I think I saw an article here in Korea recently where a mother dressed her kid in an off-shoulder top, and that sparked a little bit of controversy on the internet because she apparently was shamed publicly by a lot of uh, el- well, she mentioned elderly members of the community for over-sexualizing her child. Yes. So, I mean, is it is it something that she should be worried about? Should she listen to these people? Like, is it wrong of her to dress her kid with uh, you know in an off-shoulder top? Is it so wrong?
0: There really is room for interpretation, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's easy to cross over into being prudish or uh, almost too policing. But there are some garments and some makeup looks which are kind of conceived right from the the ground floor as a way to attract the opposite gender, right? Do you want your four to eight-year-old little girl transmitting those messages with her look, you know, and and it, it starts to tiptoe into that, um, that territory of don't ask for with what you wear kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's odious when, when men say to women, you know, don't wear that short skirt because you're asking to be harassed. That's odious. But when you're talking about very young little girls, you do have to apply that protection, don't you?
2: Yeah, I think it does. It also does come down to sort of what the impetus behind this is. Like, I can understand the attraction of mums who just think it might be cute for a day to kind of have their kid dressed as a mini them. I'm certainly <laughs> going to dress, uh, if I have a son one day, I'm certainly going to do that thing where you have like a three-year-old version of you wandering around,
0: because that is awesome. But in your case, that's just going to be a kid with like son bears everything. That's exactly line, what it's going to be. And that's completely safe.
2: Yeah, yeah but but I can understand I can understand the the kind of the attraction of doing that every now and then. It depends it depends kind of what the impetus behind it is. Yeah.
0: Judgment call family to family now you've heard the the case for and against you can make a judgment for how you treat your children. Guys, it's been fun. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank, Thank you. you.